What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Paper Street Post. I'm Bob, your host. Uh, it's been a while, so it feels good to be back uh, in the remote bunker uh, at Paper Street headquarters. We're in the satellite campus, not, <laughs> Studio not at the headquarters. Um, I have two guests with me today. Uh, my first is keyboardist uh, for the Paper Street Music Company, Greg. Greg, what's going on? Nothing, Bob. <laughs> Nothing. I'm just living my life. Awesome. Yeah. Good Good to hear it. Um, I appreciate that update. Uh, second guest here, third voice you will hear sitting directly across from me in this room is our saxophone player, Jordan Frederick. What's going on, man? Uh, yeah. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Greg. Things are crazy right now. It's the busiest time of year with school. and uh, I didn't ask you how things were. Oh, <laughs> so I said, what's up? It's kind of narcissistic. Uh, well, dang. Uh, there's a lot up. You can get into that later. Things are crazy? Yeah, things are crazy right now. <clears throat> a busy time of year. Mm-hmm. It, but you guys just went back. Yeah, and then like this, <laughs> tomorrow we have our first like music recital. So it's yeah, it's wild. Kids aren't going to be ready. You know, yeah. it's just gonna, <laughs> it'll be ridiculous. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, it's really good to be back recording, hanging out, uh, talking music. Um, we have some exciting things to talk about and, and things in the pipe. Uh, we finished a show in 2018. Our last show was a, a Christmas gig where we learned a lot of covers to, to play that Christmas show. Uh, and the next gig that we have on schedule is a private event. So sorry to everyone listening. Um, but we are going to learn a lot more covers for that. Um, so we wanted to open up the the episode, just talking about the process of, of selecting those covers, how we learn them and how we, uh, we, what we get out of them when we play. So, uh, Greg, what, what are you excited about for this new batch of covers? Um, what are you looking forward to? Um, how did we make those picks? The, I suppose the, the excitement for me comes because <clears throat> I am, uh, a, an observer in this like first round of compiling the, the enormous list of potential songs that we can add to our repertoire because that is a muscle that is better flexed by Dave and Tim and Jordan. Um, and I, I just like to to sit by and watch the artists that I, I haven't even thought of in like five years. And they're coming up. They just have a, a song on the top of their head that is uh, they think is a perfect fit for us. And I'm always surprised by picks that you bring into that mix as well, Bobby. Um so it, I, I feel like every time we enter into this season where we're learning new cover songs, I learn more about each one of you that I'm, I'm sharing the stage with that I didn't necessarily know before we started that conversation. So that's always fun. But we have a we sort of have two ways that we cover and that's sort of guides the type of songs that we choose there's there's covers that we choose because we think that they'll be a good fit for us and there's covers that we love and we want to give a true uh and we want to interpret it you know our own way we want to um, offer our unique stance on it and both of those are really fun because they draw they they draw on our strengths in different ways and they pull new things out of us as players and they teach us as arrangers. So this entire process is cool to watch um, from a creative standpoint and to partake in once we're in the thick of it. Yeah. I think as far as covers go from my brain being a music teacher and constantly having to think about like programming for all of my groups and things like that. I don't know. My brain's almost wired to think about covers differently because which is great because we all have sort of different opinions on, you know, what songs we want to do, what songs fit for the group, what songs fit for the audience. And I sometimes always default to like, okay, what's the setting we're playing in and what's an appropriate song that would fit that setting? You know what I mean? Um, so like, whereas the, of course, the December gig was pretty easy to figure out because we just, you know, we could find some Christmas covers and those would fit, you know, whether it's, you know, more of a pop thing or rock thing, all the, anything in the Christmas mood fits. But for this new gig, uh, thinking about, you know, what, covers are appropriate for whatever setting we're in. It's probably a pretty important thing. Um, 
Yeah. Is that something that's relatively new for you in the past three years? Like, is that mindset of programming, has it always kind of been that way? Because you've got a background in, I, I think, just your experience with covers as a session player and as a sax player that's been playing, essentially been playing covers for probably most, if not all, of your performance career. Yeah. Um, I'm, is, is I would say it's a new thing as far as, like, the group I'm in. Like, I'm not used to thinking of selecting covers in that way. Because, uh, you know, in this group, I have much more of an active role in kind of picking, you know, which songs are appropriate or even inside that song, like you said, kind of making it our own, maybe tweaking the harmonies a little bit or, you know, choosing a different chord to go here or, you know, manipulating the form where, you know, singing, you know, verse, chorus, verse instead of, you know, what's on the record, whatever it may be. Um, Whereas normally um, when I play covers, um, especially out and about like traditional, like classic rock covers or whether it's classic RB covers or, you know, stuff like that. We want to almost be as close to the original as we possibly can sure, because sure. that's what, you know, what an audience hears you play sitting on the dock of the bay. They want to hear it exactly <laughs> like it's supposed to yeah. sound. You know uh-huh. what I mean? So uh, it's definitely a cool thing to be able to be creative with, with the tunes we pick and kind of, cause people sort of, we, you know, we have a really unique sound. Um, so I think, applying that to a tune that's already been made is I think our audience could really appreciate something like that. What's a, a cover that we're working on right now that y'all are excited about moon, moon dance. Oh yeah. Classic Van Morrison. That's awesome. <clears throat> I think what I would be most excited about with the new covers and really anyone that's sort of like a classic style, especially since I do a lot of jazz stuff, like, you know, with a classic jazz vocal singer, you know, like a Frank Sinatra tune or something like that. Just seeing how either you, Greg, Dave, or Tim with the vocals will sort of try to own that. Because a lot of those tunes yeah. are so recognizable yeah. to the singer, not even necessarily to the songwriter, sure. or, you know what I mean, or to the band, but the, the singer has such a classic voice that, you know, trying to recreate a tune like that sometimes is a little dangerous, but can yeah. also be a little fun. Well, we had that, those moments. There were a few of the tunes that we learned for the Christmas show that mm-hmm. was about a month ago, maybe a little more, that had that exact same feel. Yeah. Uh, covering Nat King Cole. Or Louis Armstrong. Like, How do you cover uh, Louis Armstrong, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a tough game. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that. I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to, to digging into most is Moondance. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, there's been so many versions of it that right. it, I, I like that. Um, I mean, we're really not locked into anything and we can even try to do all, we could try to do all of it all at once because I've heard really amazingly beautiful instrumental versions of moon dance. Yeah. And like just we're, acoustic. Instrumentally yeah. were really strong and have, that's been exponentially um, more prevalent since you joined the band. Uh, but I mean, even the, the words are gorgeous too. Yeah. 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 Classic tune for sure. Can y'all think of a time where we tried to learn a cover and it didn't work out? I can definitely think of times in my life that oh, I've God, tried to seriously. learn a cover that didn't work out. Yeah. Um, and I, I can think, I, I don't know if this goes back to when we were the Cuyahoga kin. Okay. Um, because it was in that, sometime right before, right after that transition period. Um, I feel like most of us always felt relatively uneasy with trash can. Oh yeah. That was, and I don't think, I don't think we ever performed it poorly, but it, it, it lacked conviction maybe because we were, maybe that was more me and you, because I feel like that, incessant rhythm was it was just it was try it was physically trying i mean by the end of that song my forearms were on fire and it's fast yeah i think we we might have even accidentally been playing it a couple clicks faster than we needed to but uh, that uh and i don't know i feel like that's a natural musician's inclination is when something starts to go wrong maybe when you even perceive that something might be going wrong your instinct is to is to pick it up energize it yeah yeah and that was um that was tough and i yeah i think that um it like i said i don't think it it, we ever bombed it but it never felt yeah good 
I think like if I think of that song, um, it has so much percussion. Like there's definitely auxiliary percussion going on back yeah. there. And I think that was like, is one of the hooks of the song. And then not being able to replicate that. Sure. Kind of made that really tough. Yeah. That was brutal on my forearms. Uh-huh. Y'all could only, could only rehearse it like twice. <laughs> <laughs> Did at you, best. was there a, a break in it anywhere for you? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> the chorus kind of, yeah. Um, but that wasn't long enough. Yeah. I, we actually like got that up to speed where we could like gig with that. And we did play shows yeah. with that. Yes. I remember, um, I think this is my only time. The only time we practiced a cover of my suggestion was got to get you a woman by Todd Rundgren. I can't hear it, but I, I remember this moment. Yeah. And we sat down with it once and. Yeah, I mean, well, we just made the, actually, maybe I think this might be coming back to me. We made the list of covers months prior, maybe yeah. even six months prior, and then we kind of sat with them and we learned them, you know, one by one. Um, and by the time we got to that, it was. I think you even said, "I don't know why, <laughs> I don't know why I picked this because." Yeah, well, I think um, I know at that point we all came to rehearsal with like. Bring two covers, yeah. write them on a list. We'll pass it around. We'll vote on it. Mm-hmm. And I, it was like maybe two months for me joining the band. Yeah. So I feel like y'all picked it to make me feel good. And it was just like it's such a weird song. <laughs> <laughs> when we finally got to it, it was like, yeah, that's not going to work It out. definitely was to make you feel good, but it wasn't so. <laughs> but it was honestly, I don't honestly, I don't think it was so simple to just patronize you. It was more of an act of validation because we we were thrilled with your presence in the band and wanted to like nurture that um, that voice. And I'm even if we didn't play the song uh, because it it wasn't a good match objectively. <laughs> I your voice is valuable in that perspective that you have, and I think uh, I I. I I'd lie to you all over again, Poppy. <laughs> well, it's, it's backfired because now I've been holding a grudge for three years. So, <laughs> God, that's why the drumming's been that way for the past couple of gigs. Um, what about you, Jordan? You have is there one that comes to mind either with us or there are actually, and fortunately, these are with all outside groups that shall remain unnamed. Um, <laughs> but there was a, a cover of "I Feel Good" um, by James Brown, which. Um, is actually a really hard song to stop because there are <laughs> basically two sections, you know, and then the uh uh, and, uh, uh. and uh, we just kept doing verses and choruses and verses and choruses, and I swear to God, the song must have gone on for thirty-seven minutes because the singer just could not get it to stop. Um, so yeah, so, sometimes covers like that. I mean, I think we played it fine, but it. God, you just lose all hope when you're playing <laughs> playing a cover and that happens. And then there was a, a cover we did of Fever uh, by Peggy Lee, which after an indeterminate amount of verses and bridges, it goes up a half step. And then it actually does that again later in the tune. So there are two spots where it goes up a half step. And both times that that happened, different people went up a half step. <laughs> And others did not. So, I mean, if you want to talk about the worst sound in music, it is people playing a half step apart without knowing it. So anytime I hear that song, I just get cringes. Um, I mean, granted, there have been lots of really, really great covers that I've played. But, man, sometimes covers just they just don't mesh with, uh, you know, you got to have a good amount of rehearsal. You got to have a good energy with the group you're in. And you got to have really, really open communication within the group to make sure that. Whether it be a song you're not used to playing or a song that's maybe outside your wheelhouse, um, that you can, you know, really do it justice, whether that's, you know, to the sound you're trying to add to the song or to keep it, you know, pretty true to the original. Chad, those are a couple that come to mind. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, Is there a cover that you've always wanted to play that? We've never got a chance to. 
Mm. Well, I'll answer this question in two parts. This is Jordan. Um, the first is a cover I never want to play again, <laughs> and that would be uh, Careless Whisper, which I, fortunately, until last year, never had to play in public, um, but I had to do it. And uh, Careless Whisper by George Michaels, of course, with the probably, unfortunately, the most well-known saxophone lick there is in modern music, uh, which is a, a crying shame. Um, you said again. Uh, yeah. So you have played it. I have played it too frequently, or was that one? Just time? one time was more than enough, <laughs> and I, you know, you know, you just can't be paid enough to play mm. something like that. Um, and then a cover I've always wanted to play. I just freaking love Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson. So stuff like you know Pyt um, tunes like that Dude. that just have such a groove. You know, we gotta play it. <laughs> uh, or like in the stone. Yeah. By Earth, Wind, and Fire, I've never covered as a horn player, which yeah. is crazy. And that probably is like top 10 feel-good songs of all time, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody knows the horn parts. Everybody knows the bass part. Like, if you turn on In the Stone at a gathering of your friends, it's guaranteed to blow up. It's just such a great tune. I'd love to play that one. I am and have been for like a really long time. I I I, I love jackson brown and he's a huge Mm -hmm. influence on me and we've never Mm. um yeah i I, i'm it's uh i think different enough from what we do that it wouldn't just fall into place super easily but i don't know i i can't think of a specific jackson brown i well the the loadout would probably be like a um the jackson brown song that i yeah Yeah. that'd be my dream cover yeah. How about you, Bobby? Uh, I've always wanted to play a Led Zeppelin song. Really? Live, obviously. So that's really selfish. So I just want to play like a John Bonham yeah. drum part. It'd be cool. I feel like when you have a, a group, and, and I guess this goes back to sort of like the, the Frank Sinatra vocal thing. Whenever you do a cover and like there's one particular instrument yeah. or one particular part that yeah. is just ridiculous, yeah. like uh, it's such a hard, that's sometimes such a hard role to fill. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you like, you know, change the style of the tune oh, or yeah. change, you know, yeah. I feel like sometimes you have to go that route where you're mm-hmm. like, okay, there's no way we can do this like the original so we've got to do something to change it that way we don't sound yes. like frauds yeah <laughs> that was so when i played with you like two or three times like five years ago maybe six years ago mm-hmm. there were a handful of stevie wonder co- covers that we did um what and i can't I, i'm forgetting the name right now what, superstitious i know that or i wish it, maybe yeah. it was, it, you it know it was, was i wish yeah which and i love was, that tune oh it's amazing but but a, a group full of white guys, if you don't nail that <laughs> and, tune. And one key player. There's not one key track on that. Right, So you exactly. can, I mean, choose, even if you're trying to meld two of them, there's still a lot of that sound that's noticeably absent. Right, right. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's a hard patch to fill. Goodness gracious. I would not want to try to play keys like Stevie Wonder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't, when you hear a cover, like you were saying, like you can't, bring it to the group knowing that you're about to kill somebody else in the group. Like, <laughs> like hey, like, by the way, this is one of the hardest guitar yeah. licks that's ever been written. So but it'll be have, so cool. Yeah, you can do the comfortably numb, you know, guitar solo, right? Yeah. That's not hard. Another thing that I'm really looking forward to, um, and I don't think I would have appreciated this as much had we not gone through December with you, Jordan, really running um, the helm with Tim in terms of arranging those tunes that we learned and um, working through chord progressions and making yeah. some of those those theory decisions. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking to having those conversations yeah. again because that's, I mean, all of our listeners know how you shine on stage and performing and soloing and... Um, with that smooth, sultry tone, but <laughs> that uh, careless whisper. They, <laughs> that careless whisper sound. They, <laughs> dang it. Um, and they, in all likelihood, won't know or appreciate the work that you put in on the arranging side. And it's 
that was part of the reason that I like watching this step of the, the, the learning process and the covering process. Um, because you are on fire. Uh, it's, it's, you just go to town you go to, you get work done. You yeah. and Tim sitting over, uh, a lead sheet and looking at chords yeah, and it's, comparing that to different versions. It's cool to watch. It's such a fun process. And it's actually a really new process to me because I've never been in a group where I had any really, um, when I, you know, I never feel like I should ever have any sway on what a rhythm section does, but you know, teaching jazz and, and doing a lot of jazz study, um, outside of this group has really started to open my eyes to, to, you know, harmonic possibilities and things like that. And taking some, some jazz classes as well. It, it's just so much fun to stretch that sort of music theory muscle mm-hmm. and to try to yeah. figure out, okay, we can add a lot of color here by adding that chord or, you know, we can change this sound. We, you know, that would be, you know, fairly bland sound during this section by adding, you know, these chords or whatever it is. And it's just such a fun process and can make such a huge difference in the sound of a group and the textures you're able to make. And yeah, that's a huge thing. And I, it's so much fun to be able to, to mess around a little bit with covers, um, when you can really make that work, especially with like, uh, because on that Christmas show, we did do a couple like lead sheet type tunes and those you can really tweak quite a bit, uh, and, and make your own, which is so much fun. I love doing that kind of thing. So Bobby, when you listen to a cover, like whether or not it was the, the December covers or the ones we're going to do in this upcoming show, I mean, cause I know as a horn player, they're not always horn parts for these covers. Yeah. So I have to make a decision. It's like, okay, do I sit out on this tune or do I try to, you know, pick a role, um, like as a, as a filler in between words or verses, or do I play more of a harmonic role as a sax player? When you listen to like drum parts that are say maybe might be fairly pared down or almost like absent for certain tunes that might, you know, just have some soft brushwork or something. How do you decide as a drummer, you know, how, how hard you go or like, you yeah, know, yeah. what you decide to add to a tune or. Um, I, I always approach it like that is the baseline, you know? So learning that and making sure that I have that part covered so that mm-hmm. I can build off of it. Um, I don't, and that way I know that I'm learning the same track that everybody else is learning. Yeah. And that's really during like the rehearsal space when, you know, we're playing it for the first couple of times right. that I get a feel of like where, where there is room to grow or whether like we're doing like a straight, straight cover. Down. Yeah. Um, and I should really just hang back. So um, I guess that, yeah, comes up during rehearsal. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes like drummers, especially in cover stuff, it's like you provide such a feel that like the drummer can make such a huge difference in the feel of a cover, probably more so than any other uh, person in the band as as far as, you know, like style or, yeah. or feel or whatever, you know. I think because it, it's always like you, the covers that you can either do the cover justice and like play it as it is mm-hmm. or you can do things crazy different like make it a country song or like do it in halftime mm-hmm. and stuff like that yeah. so do you okay and i think that, that's like a flash that latter part is like a flash in the pan yeah sometimes where like to to make those changes you have to respect what was done and so you have to learn how they played it mm-hmm. and that's how you understand like what the song is almost like learn the rules before you break them kind yeah, of yeah. Yeah. I th- I, sometimes i feel like you hear these covers and it's like 100 percent different save for the lyrics and the melody and yeah. it's like did they did they actually learn the song and, and listen to the song i don't know so which style or school of thought do you prefer like which is which are which are you more impressed with which are you more drawn to what do you respect more when as a listener or as an audience member i think i'm on the far left greg <laughs> <laughs> uh, no but uh i would say i definitely and and maybe it's just because like i i got screen time on my phone i opened it up the other week and the, by far the most used app screen on screen time is 
yeah, screen time. It shows you how much you've used, uh, how much time you use your phone per day or how, how many minutes on each app or whatever. It's really depressing. It is, Yeah. It made me feel like a horrible human being because it's like you spend two hours and 30 minutes on your phone every day. And I'm like, oh my God, I could, you know, read a whole book in that amount of time or, you know, maybe exercise for once in my life. But, you know, whatever. Disease will claim all of us one day. Um, so, you know, listening to a lot of Spotify, I think I, I do listen to a lot of original tunes, especially, you know, playing so many covers that as I have that, you know, when I hear somebody do a tune really differently, it's always really intriguing and really entertaining to me to see kind of how people have uh, crafted, you know, uh, each tune and kind of made it their own. So I'm probably far on the side of, you know, hearing people do their own interpretation of a tune or kind of, you know, do it their own way. Yeah, I, I guess I'm on the other side of it. Um, we won't use left and right <laughs> for that. I'm just more of a radical right kind of guy. That's, I've always thought of him that way. Uh, I mean, I, I can appreciate like the very unique cover and, and you know, things like when Johnny Cash did Nine Inch Nails, that comes, yeah. that kind of stuff comes to mind. But I think it's really impressive when uh, a singer or a band that is in a genre does is able to switch their sound and replicate somebody else in like an opposite end of the spectrum musically. Um, I can't think of like an example off the top of my head, but you know, I, I, I find that impressive and you, you hear like a new facet of that band sound. Like they're able, they're not just a hard rock band. They're able to, flip the switch and like oh you mean like a, a band that can like hop into another genre yeah. and like almost perfectly replicate it yeah and, and that yeah that is crazy i don't feel like you hear that as often yeah 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 that's really true what about you greg where are you at i am i'm with you on this jordan i i more appreciate when someone can take something that already exists in the world and do something to it to um I hesitate to say things like breathe life into it or revitalize it because that kind of implies that it's dusty. Right. Yep. Um, but that, that idea of, I don't know, I, I like to look at it as if it were like any work of art is some kind of like precious gem. And you, we spend so much time looking at it from this perspective under this angle of the light. But if you just twist it a little bit, some of the different faces are going to shine and it'll bring out different yeah. um, aspects of what is already there. And so I think of not just from a musical standpoint, but think about um, like movie remakes or if there are these iconic characters that a new actor or actress is going to come in and offer a different interpretation. I heard uh, an interview probably like seven to ten years ago about every time that there's a new Bond, they examine James Bond as a character mm -hmm. and they're trying to bring out different elements of his character and try to not just pose a, a new, not just bring a new story, but have something new to say about who, Bond who is. he is. Yeah. And um, I think I heard John C. Riley is going to be the newest, James <laughs> Bond, which I think does add sort of a really different element. But I think to to keep it on the stage, I mean, we've Shakespeare's been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And why do people go back to see Shakespeare? It's because so you there's yeah. new ways to interpret it, and there's new ways to put it on a stage. And the there's um, didn't Aretha Franklin cover like an Otis Redding song? Oh, yeah. And um, was it Respect? What was the Otis Redding song that she like made Yeah, I famous? think that's the one. That and, he but when she wrote, covered it, it became her too. Like, and was, she, changed, yeah. she like tweaked the meaning a little bit. And so you yeah. have this work that was already good, um, but whatever you do to it allows you to appreciate it even more because of not what it was, but what it could be. Yeah, and, and that just that like idea. A anthem, right? Yes. It sort of like yeah. totally changed the culture. And that yeah, idea totally. fascinates me that you can take somebody else's work and in a way show people how much better it is than they even thought because of what else is there and buried. Yeah. So it's, it's still the same. And then some. Yeah. 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 I'm fast. Yeah. I'm fast. Have you guys heard of like postmodern jukebox? It's like a, yeah. it's a group that does, I think like sort of like 1920s type yeah. remakes of kind of modern songs. It's yeah. a really cool, a really cool uh, a way to do that sort of thing. It's almost like, I, I feel like 
what you're talking about, Greg, a lot of people do more modern covers of classic tunes, yeah. but they're doing like yes. a classic remake of a yep. modern set. So it's, yeah. it's cool when you sometimes see it go the other and way. And there's a death metal cover cover of Baby Shark. Right. Like, I just respect that. I respect yeah, just, just, so much of that you art. you see the value. <laughs> That's hilarious. I feel... I, I agree with you guys, but I think there's also like, there are standards that, mm. you know, that, that certain artists, if they can pull that standard out and do it just as well mm. or better than the person that made it famous, it's like a, it's like showmanship and validating themselves as, yeah. as an artist, like yeah. Beyonce singing at last at a yeah. James and mm-hmm. not doing anything different, like imitating her and showing that she can do that. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. I, I think there's another side to it where like the, there are these like tent pole songs that if you pull off, you kind of cement your artistry. Yeah. Hmm. Sort of playing the devil's advocate for that though, is like when you do, when you try to do a song, like a really famous tune like that, like at last, that's like sort of like staple vocal part. Do you think, and I mean, I guess it depends on who's doing it um, and kind of what they're trying to get out of the performance. But do you think it's like, are they paying homage to the artist who wrote or perform the tune or are they trying to sort of, you know, like, I don't know, like you said, be more of yeah. a showman and kind of like, just this is what I can that. do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just as right, I'm just as good as that of James. I don't know. That's a weird, I guess everything's on a spectrum. Yeah. Right? And I guess you could take that exact same uh, perspective and apply it to the interpretation that oh I'm gonna make it better. How dare gonna, you change cover it right. better <laughs> yeah. than yeah. they had That's it when true. they wrote it? Man, covers. There's a lot. There's a lot to think about when you do a cover of a mm. tune. It's fascinating. So I'm looking forward to butchering some covers. <laughs> <laughs> but I think playing certain covers, like like you said, Bobby, like the tentpole tunes helps you be a better musician, you know, but yeah. it's mm-hmm. almost like a way of study. Like when you oh, crack a textbook, sure. like, yeah. all right, how did they do this tune? You know, how to, and trying to replicate or make it your own really kind of helps you as a musician develop your technique and your sense of style and, you know, that sort of thing. And well, f- I, I like that. I like the way you put that. And I think that it, it, um, it fits you as a player too, because when Dave and Tim and I are trying to explore tone, for us, what it really is, is tweak, you know, turning knobs and pushing buttons. And that's still mm-hmm. an educational process. Um, and we can find things that we wouldn't have found otherwise if we're trying to match somebody's tone or somebody's sound. But for you, that's a, a, a mechanical, physical right. activity yeah. to match somebody's tone. Yeah. And I'm sure, I've heard you talk in podcasts prior about... Um, who you look look up to in terms of musicians and in terms of sax players and who you try to emulate and what that target is for you. Um, And there's definitely something to say in that respect. Yeah. And yeah, especially like as a sax player, like you were saying, I've, I have to change tone in depending on the cover we're doing or depending on the original we're doing, there's a certain energy or there's Mm -hmm. a certain attack that I've got to get, or there's a certain, or even, in where we are in a song. I mean, right. you yeah. change dramatically when we're in a chorus versus when yeah. we're, you're kind of popping in in between lines of a verse. Yeah. I, I just feel like listening is like one of the biggest and most underrated ways you learn how to do stuff like that. Mm. Um, yeah. You just got to listen to as much music as you possibly can. Including ours. <laughs> Paper Street coming out with a new album. Within the next century or two. <laughs> yeah, that's all Tim says now on stage. Yeah, but this, he's not okay. lying, though. This is this will be on the album. It's coming out. <laughs> what album? <laughs> happening, y'all. It is happening. Uh, we finally started the uh, yeah. the next process. So we've been done recording for a while. And, I mean, we've talked in the podcast a lot about that recording process and how amazing that's been. Um, and this is the, I, um, and I, f- I feel like you might be able to relate to this, but this is the, just hurry up and wait now. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of out of our. Well, getting that hands. first track that we, we got to sort of, it's, I have never, this is a first for me. I've never been on the side where I had to critique 
a mix or oh. a mastering. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's always like I lay down my track and then my hands are done. Yeah. Like I, I walk <laughs> away and then I'm out of control of the process, which is, you know, it's fine. It's not my job to have a say so in what the final product sounds like. But in this case, you know, going back and forth between you guys kind of saying, what did you think of this mix? You know, do you think, you know, the bass is too loud or we need more pop out of this part? Or, and I'm like, what? whoa, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I think that's a totally different way to listen. And I don't, I, I, I listen in, in music for so many different things, but I have never concentrated my ears on the mix of a tune. Mm. I think that's a totally different hat that I have to get used to wearing. And, and I don't know, I feel like my ears are, this sounds strange to say because I've been playing so much music and, you know, studying music for so while, but I feel like I'm such a juvenile when it comes to, okay, how's the mix of this tune? Like what could make this mix yeah. better? I almost am just like, uh, yeah, I'm a sax player. Uh, leave yeah. me alone. <laughs> no, it's cool. Uh, I'm super excited about that mix, and I I agree, Jordan. Like every time I listen to it, I remember there are so many tracks in that mix that mm-hmm. aren't just aren't there at certain times. It's like, that was a decision. Like we could, yeah, you know, we could bring that back out or I don't know. There's just, there's so much there. That's something that, that I pay attention to actually a lot because I feel like the way that I listen to, not the way that I listen to music for enjoyment, but when I listen to, um, when we would record our own demos at Dave's place and just listening for parts um, when we go into the studio and record and get the mix back and we're making sure that the levels and the, the tone is, is where we want it to be. That's a lot of what I, my mentality on stage is, uh, especially since you joined the band, Jordan, because, um, since I spend so much time on organ, it's a lot less melody and even it's even less rhythm. Mm-hmm. It's texture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the, when I'm listening for the organ part, I'm not really listening for notes. I'm not listening for the changes in the rotary speed. I'm not listening for the little licks that I put in um, in the upper octaves. I'm can I feel the organ? You know, is it is it there kind of underneath is the everything? Where it needs to be. Yeah, do is it the like car- a- is it the rug that's warming the floor that everything sits on? But do you feel like that's a that's a hat you put on when? Like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, do you, do you just listen that way in performance or when you're trying to critique a mix? Or is that like something, say, if a band goes on before us or after us at a performance, do you also sort of listen that way simultaneously? Because I now know that I do not mm. listen that way <laughs> constantly, yeah. which is, I don't know if that's like alarming or just something I, I will have to s- sort of start training my ears to do. But yeah. like, Probably. I think it probably is something that I do. I think that might be my default. And that's wow. not necessarily a good thing. Well, yeah. Because it's, uh, I mean, it, it it's cool as, you know, alone in my head when I'm watching um, something really small and intricate happen on stage. And I can kind of crack a smile because I caught it. And that was, yeah. Yeah. it was clean. It was crisp. It was amazing. But at the same time that I've so got you blinders have a soundboard on in your head yeah, and, and yeah. I've got blinders on and I'm only appreciating that one instrument. And it can, if what I'm happen to be focusing on at that moment is bad, then my overall impression of all of the amazing oh, yeah. things that are happening Absolutely. on stage. Yes. So I feel that way when I watch like, and I, I think this is almost a musician's curse when you see like a bucket list band Yeah. and you notice yeah. stuff like that, <clears throat> it can just like break your heart. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to talk bad about a band I saw recently, but that <laughs> happened. I saw a bucket list band yeah. and like the energy and the presence from certain members of the band just weren't there. Yeah. And it just like totally drained. Yeah. Like, I feel like a part of my soul because I yeah. like, I love their music, yep. but, and you know, it could have just been that one night or whatever, yep. but like what you're saying, just because I was noticing it in that one instance in that uh-huh. one evening, it almost changed my whole perception. You're not going to name names. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. I gotta. I gotta let them have their dignity. And you know what? That might be. That might be the mix because we laid down those tracks, um, and depending on all of these tiny little details, it dramatically changes the way that you enjoy. Um, that you enjoy the music. There was maybe eight years ago. Tim and I were listening to a lot of Foxy Shazam, and I think it was their featuring 
uh, introducing, sorry, it was their introducing album. Um, and we, <laughs> we got some, one of our friends had, uh, a weird copy of the album and I think it was probably bootlegged, um, <laughs> because the tracks were totally out of order. What? Um, they were in a totally different order and I, it was so bad that I thought they're intentionally doing this. Like when they released this version of the album, they thought, what is the worst song that could follow this in terms of order and energy and transition? And that's the way it was. And that's the way that this was. And I I honestly thought that it was, it was an intentional decision to make it as jarring as possible to be like artistic (laughs) and indie and different. And then I heard the one that the album that they actually released and my impression of the album was entirely different. And the songs were, it was the same mix out of the songs. I'm pretty sure, but just, the the musical moment that happens at the end of the one song versus what happens in the next. I don't know. So I'm sort of curious about y'all's opinion of this because this is what I sort of, if we go back to that question of the spectrum, like what side of the spectrum do you fall on with regards to like mixing and mastering? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, with the mixing and mastering, you can change so much about a live performance. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, what you were saying, Greg, when we're in the moment and in performance, we're listening for those subtle nuances about presence and texture and when things come out and when things are uh, back behind. Like, you know, if do, are we not doing ourselves justice when we're mixing or mastering an album by changing presence and you know what I mean? Like, do you think you can get so far away from an authentic performance? I mean, obviously some people can, Yeah, it happened. It must happen all the time, but as far as what we're trying to, put out there yeah. as authentic. Like, wh- I don't know, where do you guys fall as far as mixing and mastering our own stuff? Yeah. I, I think, uh, I've had this conversation with Dave countless times over yeah. the years and you have to either, uh, attempt as best you can to capture that live moment or ignore the live moment energy and try to best represent the song and what you think mm. needs to happen yeah. in that song. And, well, in and a then way, it gets, it's, it's almost like you're, Like we were talking about with the covers, it's like we play the tune and then through the mixing and mastering process and adding tracks, we're Mm -hmm. almost creating a new, a new thing, Mm -hmm. which might be the, the, like you're talking about the overall vision of the song, Yeah, which is kind of fascinating in its own. It's like a a meta. Yeah. I think what we've ended up doing is sort of meeting in the middle because... Mm -hmm. I don't know if one of those stances is better than the other, but we live tracked every song on the album. And so you start from that bass energy and character of a live performance. But then on top of that, well, we don't have eight, eight singers in the band. So when we record the background vocals for something like you break my heart and we can layer in those, those big group chords that build up during the bridge. That's not something that, will likely happen during a live performance <laughs> right. yeah. but man it makes the song explode yeah. yeah what do you think bobby i think it I, I think it's fine either way like you're saying um you either go all in on on either side of it and so i think it comes back to like intent from the very beginning like we live tracked we didn't have a week in a studio we had two days mm. um so to then have somebody change levels and put effects on after the fact that's just going to lose the spirit of what Mm -hmm. we were doing. I'm sure like a lot of the greatest albums of all time, you know, the props should probably go to those engineers and mixers that, you know, have a hundred tracks on a song and know exactly what levels to put them at. Um, So for us, I think we're in the, the mixing and mastering needs to capture the energy of that day. Yeah. And yeah. we're not, we aren't the, the engineers aren't making a new song after the fact. Cause mm. we, we were live in the room yeah, and like that is what needs to be captured. I think if you can sort of become your own enemy, if you lean too hard into, um, I guess letting somebody else turn the song into something or even letting one of us turn the song into it's this own beast. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just thinking of, I wonder what problems, um, not necessarily problems that, because they'd be good problems, but I wonder how difficult it was for the who to emulate Tommy when they started putting that on stage with all the, the synth work and all the arranging and yeah. all, everything that, that Pete Townsend did and yeah. Queen after they, are layering everything into the animal that is Bohemian Rhapsody. What 
conflicts came from yeah, putting what, that out, out onto lost, a stage. Added, yeah. yeah. My dad said they played a track. Oh, they they played a track with them live on stage? Yeah. Like yeah. when it got crazy yeah. for Bohemian Rhapsody, they just pressed That's play. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and for me, I've, just, I've never played such an active role in, mm. in you know, in that whole process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how... How you know as far as capturing that energy live? Yes, definitely. But the that post that yeah has been fascinating for me to kind of think about these you know dichotomies of okay, well, do we try to keep it as close to the original, or do we want to push certain sections in certain places to mm-hmm. capture the idea of the song? And that's just a really fun thing to be able to do. I, I think know. the fact that we make those decisions and we ask those questions that's and we critical. have these discussions yeah. is because we are we do it all ourselves. Like we're homegrown from everything. We are self-produced and the fact that we get to decide those things and that we don't have to try to convince somebody else yeah. to allow us to keep that that character. That is been um that's been huge. Yeah, we're definitely open to to being signed to a record label. <laughs> Having some if, if there's any yeah. argument or you know not that's not clear, let me go ahead and step right on everything Greg said. Yeah, record execs are listening to this at minute fifty, and they're like, "Oh, they're, they're, they're cool the being independent." There's plenty of key players out there. Yeah. I mean, Nike, we are welcome to a sponsorship. We will wear your gear on stage, and <clears throat> I think actually we have uh, a negative sponsorship. Um, and so the reason that we just bleeped out uh, the company that Jordan just named is because <laughs> companies like and and literally pay us not to use their name. That is very true. Yeah, because we we dropped its name at this one show and uh, it was really bad. <laughs> Cease and desist. Uh, they, they yeah they did not care for it because yeah. this was one of our earlier shows that we've never talked about. Um, it was an all cover show um from uh, tenacious d and let me tell you it did not fly with the venue or the audience and uh yeah maybe maybe we should just stop talking about that altogether can you um, imagine going on stage and we were all in nike tracksuits <laughs> you know i think in nashville now you know that would probably actually yeah, sell probably in some would. weird way yeah, like, uh, I, saw, like, I saw like, like royal tenenbaums the red tracksuits <laughs> yeah, yeah. right i in saw um emery I think yeah. we've talked about Emory um, a bit over the years. So I saw Emory up in Cleveland at Warp Tour, and they all came out in uh, basketball jerseys. That's like crazy. matching basketball jerseys. If it was, it was crazy. Space Jam basketball jersey, <laughs> absolutely. Were they like 70s, like short? They were, socks? oh, no, they did. So just the top, just the jerseys. They oh, were okay. wearing like their skinny jeans. Yeah, I've been thinking about that chucks. for us. Like, and I actually posed this question to my students the other week is like, a lot like maybe i don't know half maybe more of the most famous artists in the world usually have some sort of gimmick you mm-hmm. know what i mean have mm-hmm. a thing that either is like a signature look or a signature paint on their guitar or a signature mm-hmm. drum shell whatever it is like michael jackson's white glove or you know slash his top hat i'm like what could paper streets thing be audience <laughs> do you want to see us in overalls and nothing else <laughs> Or I don't know. I think we gotta we gotta get a gimmick. We do. Let's just put a bunch of uh, like accessory clothing into a hat, and then a bunch of material denim silk into another hat, and then a color has to be silk into the third hat. Can and we we'll just like, kind of random. Let's try some stuff. It has out. to be kimonos. <laughs> yes, plenty of breeze. I'm all about the breeze. Come on. Huge Everyone gong. has the. <laughs> <laughs> like the village people, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if you had told me that we would have somehow gone from cover songs to kimonos, from covers to kimonos, this has been <laughs> this is the Paper Street Post. It's a great. I think it's a great episode title. Yeah. Hashtag episode title. Thanks, Nike. Uh, I think it's time. Yeah. Dude, we don't even need to talk about Out West. That song sucks anyway. Out <laughs> 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 That was great. Best of, Yeah.
We got to wrap though, right? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do a quick outro. <clears throat> oh, we got to wrap. We have to like say goodbye. Oh, I thought you meant like talk about the lesson. Talk, like... <laughs> talk about the talk about the We got to talk about the lesson that we learned and what letter is being represented here today. Yeah. Brought to you by the letter E. Do, eczema. <laughs> do, do we have anything to plug? Um, our next confirmed show is just that private thing in March where everything in no, in February is still pending. So, cool. But that's something that Dave and I can also add if something comes up. Sweet. Well, sweet. This was, uh, this might be our longest episode yet. So. And the, and the best. Does that say fun. 55 minutes? 55 minutes. Well, it may I not mean, be 55 yeah. when we're done with post. Yeah. But, uh, we had a couple well, dog interruptions and yeah. stuff. Listen, but. I'm going to have the unedited cut. If anybody <laughs> wants it, come find, <laughs> come find Big Jojo with the sax. <laughs> I got your CDs. Yeah. Meet him at the, at his car. I just him out the trunk. Uh, <laughs> Well, thank, thanks for thanks for talking to me, Jordan, Greg. Uh, yeah, man, that's how you sell your mixtape. Hey, I'm not doubting you. All right. Well, this was really fun. Thanks for that thanks for chatting. Uh, don't have any events coming up to plug, but um, as soon as we do, we'll be sharing them on the socials. Uh, we are on Spotify. I don't know if we've plugged yep. that on the podcast prior, but you can find us there. Some some old tracks there, and as we talked about, we're uh, mixing and mastering some new songs, hopefully to, to be released soon. Um, yeah, Greg, Jordan, thanks for talking. Yeah, thanks, Ben. a lot of fun.